There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of A Stab in the Dark, the alibi podcast that investigates the worlds of crime fiction and TV crime drama. If you're new to A Stab in the Dark, where the hell have you been? But welcome, pull up a seat and relax as we interrogate some of the best writers, actors and novelists working in the crime genre today. If you want to dig into our murderously star-studded archives, well, we've interviewed the likes of David Morrissey, Mark Gatiss, The Wire's David Simon, The Bridges' Sophia Helene, Patricia Cornwell, Lee Child, Ian Rankin, Anne Cleves, Michael Connolly, and many more besides. So go on, fill your boots, it would be a crime not to. To kick off this new batch of episodes, we're going to be taking a closer look at Alibi's brand new forensic science drama, Traces. We'll be inviting the people who made it happen, both behind and in front of the camera, into our luxurious interview room for a grilling. I say luxurious, we've got tea and biscuits. We'll be talking to writer Amelia Bullmore, one of the show's stars, Laura Fraser, and the award-winning crime writer whose idea the series was based on, the one and only Val McDermott. So, without further ado, pop on your protective bodysuit, because here comes the science. This is A Stab in the Dark. Now, we're kicking off this bumper Traces special in fine style because joining me is the co-creator of Traces, actress and writer Amelia Bullmore. Amelia, welcome to A Stab in the Dark. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, Let's get straight to it. How would you describe Traces to those who are about to watch it? Traces is a crime thriller set in the world of forensic science with a love story in the middle. Uh, Val's mission was to get um, the forensic science at the centre of the story and to have all things kicking off to get a great crime story, to get good personal stories and to pay great attention to the science and deliver it as accurately as we could. Yeah, science front and centre. And and this series, the first series, I'm presuming the first of several series, um, is centred around fire investigation, which is a fascinating world in itself. What did you find out when you began to look more closely at it? Because even though it's part of the wider world of forensics, it has its own conventions, its own language. Um... The two scientists at the centre of it, one is a forensic chemist, so one of her specialisms is fire, the other is drugs. Uh, and we start with a fire. And then the other scientist in it is a forensic anthropologist, so we look at both those fields of science. But we did kick off the series with uh, this fire in episode one. And I first met Professor Neve Nick Dade in 2015, I think, uh, and she talked about fire and the science of fire. And... Um, We were talking about how somebody might start a fire and then she said, well, if you want this forensic chemist to be very clever, then let's look at something clever she could do with something complicated she would have to interpret. So we went at it backwards. So then she said, "Okay, it might be this, it might be that the fire is started in this way and if that was the case, this is what the scientist would have to do. But then all along the way there were, obviously I had to learn about the specifics but also the approach which is, very, very systematic, uh, exhaustive. You record everything. 
you, you, when you open evidence, you open the evidence bag away from you. You're double gloved. You're sketching everything down. You've got somebody else there because in Scotland, where no forensic scientists are privatised, unlike here, uh, you have to have somebody else there for corroboration. So it's not just the science itself. It's also the recording, the noting, the checking, because all of this has got to be ready for the court. That's the forensic bit, meaning for the court pertaining to the forum. I didn't even know that when no. I started. I just thought forensic meant really, really careful <laughs> yeah. Yeah. or really, really detailed. And it means for the court. So when I began to talk to the forensic scientists and I said, what do you want? You know, what would you hate? They said, OK, we would. Don't make us dolly birds. We would hate that. Um, no gratuitous violence. We would hate that. Don't do the science rubbishly. We would hate that. <laughs> and never, 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 whatever you do, say forensics. Ever. It's forensic science. science. We're about the science. We're engaged in the science. We're obsessed with the science and we're obsessed in protecting the integrity and the quality of the science. Because, of course, not all forensic science is equal. Some areas of forensic science have much more science data behind them than others. For example, bite um Bite mark analysis is very controversial in the States because there have been wrongful convictions. But you look at something like, well, I would say fire. And there's a lot more work, science behind it. So they were very, very... Um, and, of course, the science is only as good as the people doing it. So there were so many things to learn. So even within the world of forensic science, they're saying, hmm, I'm not sure about that bit of forensic science, but my bit of forensic science, I guard jealously because this is what I'm holding up. You know, this is what I'm fighting the flag for. Because every time they go to court and that kind of evidence may be taken into question, it's not just their evidence, but maybe their, that field of forensic science as a whole. So there's masses going on. There's the language, there's the politics of it, and there's the science itself. Well, you say so much to learn. I mean, this, this is adapted from an original idea by Val McDermott. We'll yeah. talk to Val later. Val's obviously written about forensics over a number of years. Sorry, Was this for, your sorry, first time? Sorry, forensic science. Thank you. Um, she's written about forensic science <laughs> for many years. We can edit that out later, right? Um, but was this your first time having to immerse yourself in that world? In the world of forensic, for, science. forensic yes. science, yes. I had, you know, every time something crops up to be written, you will have to go finding stuff out to write it. And uh, a few years ago, I wrote something set in the world of the pharmaceutical industry, which came to nothing. But that had got my head a bit, a bit sort of, it sort of got me going scientifically. It wasn't, it wasn't such an alien place to go to. But I did have absolutely masses to learn with this. I well, never... Do you like that? I mean, as a, as a writer, would you prefer it if a gig came along where you just went, I know this world, I don't have to talk to anybody, research anything. Do you like having to find stuff yes, out? Yes, I do. I do. Because you, you get so many ideas from it, not just the factual ideas, but character ideas, things you could only hit on once you begin to find things out. Uh, it, it gives you, it's just, it gives you masses. OK, well, now would be a good time, I think, to have a listen to the show. Here is uh, a clip from episode one of Traces. Hey, I'm really sorry. I, I hope you don't mind. I need someone to talk to, and I thought of you. Come in. Come in, talk to me. It's about my mum's murder. Oh, Emma North. I'm sorry. 
I'm not the right person to talk to about that. I've heard things that I think could be important. And someone told me that she was dismembered, and then I found Emma, her. stop. I would love to be able to help, but this is not from my ears. You need to talk to the police. This is my mum and dad. Except at the time the photo was taken, my mum wasn't with my dad. She was with my stepdad. I think it could have something to do with a murder. Obviously, the forensic science uh, is front and centre, Amelia, but and there's a mystery to solve, which, of course, all, all viewers of crime drama want, but it seemed to me that, above all, it is, it's a character-based drama. It's a very human story, and it doesn't shy away from the damage that's done by, by grief and loss, and I'm guessing those are the things you really like to get your teeth into as a writer. Yes, I do. You know, uh, you want to get inside characters and... Um just keep thinking what would that be like what would that feel like uh what would that be like for that kind of personality versus what that same experience would be like for that kind of personality because of course one experience doesn't have the same effect on a range of people because we're all made of different things so it's like impact on rubber is different from impact on glass so you're thinking about what would that do to that kind of person? And what would happen when those two kinds of person uh, interact? So that actually, that's a bit of chemistry as well. You could say that it's, it's, it's chemistry squared because you've got to, however interesting the science is or however good the plot is, if it's not extruded through people you uh, think are real, then it isn't worth much. So... That is really, really key that you that you try, you hope that you're going to be writing people who seem like people, who sound like people and interact like people. And then the audience can, even though they know it's all pretend, they can briefly for that 43 minutes get lost in it. That thing you say about that, the way different people react to, to those pressures is interesting. I, I had to talk to some police officers once about what it's like to deliver the death message. Yes. And the difference in reaction... That's you know, right. some people will scream and shout that's and hammer right. on their chest and some people will internalise it and just freeze and yep. nobody reacts the same way. No. But I think that's... Isn't that what all great crime drama, whether it's on the page or on the screen, is is really about? It's not about the violence. It's about what violence does to people and what the people left behind. <sighs> yes, and maybe that's why... I don't know why we like to watch it or read it or consume it so much. It's very strange, isn't it? Maybe it's because if you see it played out safely... It's not directly happening to you. And maybe generally it gets tidied up. So there's a comfort in these committed uh, professional people. If, if, if you're obviously there's a whole kind of genre of crime story, which is about corruption of the law enforcers. But if you're not dealing with that, basically good intentioned people sort out a terrible situation. So maybe there's something reassuring in seeing a you got the puzzle, the fun of the puzzle, and then you got everything tidied up. I remember Val once saying to me that she thought, and, and it's generalisation, but I think it's largely true, that male writers tend to write about what violence looks like mm. and female writers tend to write about what it feels, feels like. like. Mm. And this is a very female-led show. Yeah. So do you think that is, that is something that's, that's crept into the drama, that it's all about? Not consciously, because, in fact, the scientists... Uh, are not about feeling at all. They can't afford for feeling to influence their work. So uh, they will never, they might 
they might indiscreetly talk to a trusted colleague about what they hunch about something. But within the work, they would say, um, they wouldn't even say, this is the same as that. They would say, this appears to conform to that. So they are so careful about not letting their hunch or their feeling or uh, guesswork come into it to keep it within the bounds of fact, what can be demonstrated, what can be proved, that they are not uh, letting feeling come into their work at all. And if they did, they wouldn't be doing their job. In fact, that was one of the things that the forensic scientists were adamant about was um, if you're getting emotionally caught up in this, you will not be doing it properly. That's not to say they are automata uh, and not feeling, but they're so determined to get that work watertight for the purposes of the court as forensic science that they're just not going to uh, let that get into the work as far as they can. Um, I mentioned that it's a very female-driven show, written by women, directed by women, produced by women, amazing parts for, for female actors. Is that something that's important? I mean, it's ridiculous that, that it's still an issue, but it still kind of is, that we haven't got to a level yet where that doesn't become a talking point. Um, yeah, see, because of... Uh, I've worked a lot with Red Production Company, and they're very it's a very female company. And so everybody's experience is different, but mine, my work experience has been... It's very, very female. Um, and when we went and we met uh, the scientists at the University of Dundee and we went to the the department that's called CAHID, the Centre for Anatomy and Human Identification, it was hugely, pop- you know, it was greatly populated by women. And we, so we didn't uh, tip up the numbers or um, we didn't alter anything. We just dramatised the picture we saw, which was a very female picture. Um, we can't we can't finish without without a word about about your transition from from uh, actor to writer. Many people obviously will from know you from comedy shows like I'm Alan Partridge in 2012, but also more, much more serious stuff. Scott and Bailey, Happy Valley, Gentleman Jack, all written by Sally Wainwright. Tell us a bit about that move from from acting to writing. What you might have learned from Sally Wainwright from mm. whoever. Well, it isn't a hop one to the other because <laughs> about 25 years ago, um, my friend Neve Cusack persuaded me to write a TV script and that came to nothing but actually all the work I've ever had you could trace back in some way or another to that so I've been doing both uh, for quite a while Um, and I suppose when Neve got me to write that script I was pregnant and she said look nobody's going to give you any acting work so you know roll your (laughs) sleeves up and do this so I've really, really enjoyed doing both those things. What I learned from Sally is, well, her Scott and Bailey scripts, the first thing about them was how detailed and credible the police procedure was, which was one of her kind of um, missions with that show. And so she combined the accuracy of the work and character, great character. So you had great relationships combined with... um, Credible work and she does very unexpected things Sally will write a scene that should have ended three times but it hasn't or she'll just drop something because she's not that interested in it anymore she knows what she wants and she you know she said to me once she's forgotten this I think it's a, a rule of thumb that people forget the pearls of wisdom they dispense but you remember the ones that you get and she said you just write what must come next 
write what must come next. It's so simple, but if you get lost, it's all you need. What has to come next? Where do I have to go? Who do I have to be with? What do I need to find out? So she's taught me millions. Stephen, Stephen King has a brilliant way. He's got these, these ten rules of writing, but the, the best one, it was just genius, which should just be above every writer's desk. It's always, a part, always avoid the parts readers tend to skip. <laughs> and it's just so simple and yet profound, because you know what those parts are yourself. You know, I, even I think as you're that's writing basically them, the you, same as write what must come next. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, we the, we cannot let you go without asking. We ask all our guests for yes. a, for, a, for a quick recommendation or a couple of quick rec- recommendations for crime related reads or TV shows. What have you read or watched this year that that you would recommend to our listeners? Well, I mean, this sounds other than Tracy's. This obviously. sounds creepy, but I'm in the middle of a Val McDermid book, and the terrible thing is because it's on my Kindle and I'm not looking at the title every day. I can't tell you the title. That is one of the problems with Kindle. Isn't it which, awful? But, yeah. It's the one where yeah, what's, which, four guys, the laddies of Kikodi, find, oh, they find a, body. a body. Yeah. It is now. I'm going to. And it's, it's gonna fantastic. Have me if I can't remember this. Um, uh, Distant Echo. Distant oh. Echo. Let me go back to the home page. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually watching a Kindle getting opened here. Uh, Right, and home we're going page. to find out what this Val McDermott book is called. I think it's You're Distant good. Echo. You're it good. It is the Distant it's Echo. It's the Distant Echo, and it's riveting. Yeah. I'm oh, getting well, less sleep than I should. Thank you very much. <laughs> and what about, what about something to watch on TV? What about something to binge with over Christmas? Oh, a crime thing to binge with over Christmas. Um, hmm. I mean, The Fall, the first series of The Fall was horribly gripping. Well, I, I think one of the things it did brilliantly was that it 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 offered the thesis that so-called monsters, in inverted commas, are not monsters. They are fathers and husbands, and yeah. on the you know they're not somebody you put in a cupboard and go monster. They're the people living next door. But it, it was very murky, wasn't it? Yeah. The kind of the the idea of um, the destiny of desire and uh, you know one twisted person, um, you know, careering towards another mixed up person I'd all I mean yucky but I did I was hooked <laughs> happy Christmas everyone um, thank you so much Amelia for joining us thank you for being with us on Stab in the Dark and thank you for Traces my pleasure thank you now as regular listeners will know we often send our man with the spyglass Paul Hirons out and about to dig even deeper into the criminally dramatic topics of the day so it's over to you Paul and I believe you have one of the stars of Traces Laura Fraser with you Yes, thanks, Mark. I'm about to go into a very posh London hotel to talk to one of the stars of Traces, Laura Fraser, who plays Professor Sarah Gordon and appears alongside Line of Duty's Martin Compston and BAFTA award-winning actress Molly Windsor. Now, I'll try not to steal any fancy chocolates or hand soaps while I'm there, so let's go inside and see what Laura's got to say for herself. Okay, hello Laura, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you. It's weird sitting opposite you in the flesh because I feel as though I see you all the time on the telly telly (laughs) box and it's like, yeah, you've been in loads of crime dramas like The Lock, The Missing, Retribution, Houdini and Doyle. You know, we'll talk a bit about Breaking Bad if that's okay a bit later on after we talk about Traces, your brand new show for Alibi, of course. Yeah, there's a lot of crime drama in there. Yeah, I never thought of it like that, but actually it's true. Um, I suppose I have played uh, 
a, a, a member of the police a few t- a few detectives, um, but I've also been on the wrong side of the law as yeah, well. Right. So that's good. Oh, I was going to you work with the Williams brothers quite a lot. Um, yeah. Is it is it just the way the cards have fallen, or do you have a particular penchant for? Crime drama, I suppose would you say? I, I like to be the person investigating the crime as opposed to the victim of a crime. Right. Because I I don't I mean, I think you're vulnerable when you're acting no matter what you're doing because you're you you know, it, it unbalances you because you're spanning all these different emotions and even yeah. with it, if even when you're a contained character who is um even if you're someone who's in control and world, your world isn't falling apart, you're still kind of up and down emotionally. Um, but I don't love to play people who are experiencing horrendous stuff happening to them. Right. Um, uh, there's a lot of actors I know who are able to dip in and out and and um, can cry at the drop of a hat. But for me, it, it kills me. And I, right. I've it hurts and so I don't like to do it too much I prefer investigating and is that because you kind of is there an element even with you're playing someone else there's an element of control in that situation right yeah 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 the illusion of control I mean because we're not in control are we so no and also (laughs) it's the writer's job to take viewers kind of hither and thither and twists and turns you never quite know what's going to happen yeah, to that and often even person. when you're filming, you actually, especially if it's quite a long series, like for the the missing, that was ten episodes, I think. Yeah, and we'd really, I didn't have a clue where this was going, and I thought, yeah. what the heck is happening? Is that fun as an actor, though? Is that is that keep you on your toes, kind of? Thing? It's quite fun, um, but at the same time, uh, you feel like. Oh, actually, I wish I'd known because I would have done this differently. And right, yeah. okay, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think I, if I had the choice, I'd prefer to know. But that leads us neatly on to Traces, mm-hmm. and I've watched the first episode, which I enjoyed a lot. And it's again, you talk about being in control, and your your character Sarah is investigating a a fire. Uh, there's a little, you know, I'm not going to spoil it, but. You know, you delve into that, and then you've got Sarah's new assistant played by Molly Windsor, who's, as you say, whose mother is murdered, and there's that kind of going on. Yeah. Do these two cross over, these two cases, without giving too much away? Yeah. Um, so we create this online course where we set up a mock up um, case, but actually, some of the, the, the case study that we've used actually, coincidentally, is the same as her mother's unsolved murder yeah. so um she ends up sleuthing herself and uh, myself and my partner Kathy who's a forensic anthropologist end up investigating the crime and the case is reopened yeah 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 um what i particularly liked about it just i mean we've had lots of forensic shows on tv before the mm-hmm. biggest one CSI i guess um, which I think if you talk to any forensics expert, they kind of hate, really. Because oh, really? Yeah, because it's... I mean, if you talk to Val, she's well into her forensics, obviously. Um, but I think there was a feeling that CSI presented forensics as some kind of magical, easy science where things are solved just like... All you need is a musical montage, and then, <laughs> yeah. and then it's solved, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, and also in this country, of course, we've got Silent Witness. But what I liked about this, it felt different to those shows. It felt respectful to the science, but also kind of a really addictive 
procedural story that you could really get into. The pace of it is quite nice. Yeah, I mean, I, I like that they, not just in their, their research, that they spoke to Neve McDade and um, Sue Black and Val McDermott and, and they had access. We had a, a, a chemist on set, um, a, a professor of chemistry. Um, so they were really meticulous about trying to make it uh, not just realistic, but actually re- uh, we did some of the stuff for real and they, they actually sh- take the time to show, um, the, you know, the methodical and how slow it is and how repetitive it can be. But yeah, um, I think it is still interesting because it, these can, you know, it's fascinating and you don't get to see this stuff. Yeah. No. And what, what about you? Is it Was it a case of almost like a Star Trek and a Star Wars. Did you do research yourself or did you just kind of like, right, these are the wor- these are the technical words that I'm going to have to read, right? No, I, I felt like I really needed to have an understanding um, and the, the production team were really good and they, they, they brought us, me, Molly and a few of the others, uh, to a lab in Preston and we got to see... Um, burnt out remains and a mock-up crime scene you know with you know dead bodies and it was so interesting we got to stay there for hours and ask loads of questions and then also we had the on-set advisor and I ended up watching quite a lot of YouTube videos of flaming combustion flashover. (laughs) Your your search history is going to be quite interesting. Yeah I know (laughs) and then I watched hours of the Grenfell Tower inquiry because uh, one of the characters uh, that's my character is loosely based on Neve Nick Dade. Um, she was the expert fire witness for the Grenfell Tower inquiry. So, um, was, I mean, fascinating. I know, and I think that's what sets traces apart. Not least, it's got a great cast yourself, Molly. Uh, line of duties, Martin Comston comes into it. Um, but what sets it apart is that it kind of focuses on the the fire stuff, and we've not really yeah. seen that uh, kind of fire investigation stuff. Before, yeah, I think. Yeah, I, th- I wondered because I don't watch that much telly. I, right. Um, but um, so I, I, I hadn't seen it before, like yeah. in the way it does, does it investigates it in this show. Yeah. So I find that really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so did you? You obviously learnt a lot, and you did your research. Did you suddenly kind of? go around mates' houses and kind of start spouting like, things you, at dinner parties. You, so you shouldn't have that fire alarm there, you should have it there, or I, don't leave that toaster on in, yeah, in that sort of way. We got, we got <laughs> new um, smoke alarms in our house. I oh, became right. obsessed and I, I bought these new ones for my family and I was wow. I was obsessed, like, well, that's a really good fuel source. We shouldn't have that. And I was like, oh, my God, but we have cooking oil. What are we doing? He was like, but you can't avoid it. And no. also all these um, videos, I realised I'm going to need a couple of degrees. I, I'm never going to fully understand this what am no. I doing but I guess it's a subject that you know I think it shows with the way you depict or portray Sarah's character you do it feels like yeah she's like the top of her game you know she's the top of her field you know yeah uh, so that's a compliment to you and, and the research <laughs> that you did obviously you know, it paid off okay look I wanted to talk to you I mentioned your long and varied career um and one of the things that you starred in is Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. And obviously with the new Netflix movie out, uh, El Camino, um, everyone's talking about Breaking Bad and you played Lydia in that. What kind of experience was that for you? And goodness me, what a global phenomenon. That must have been like, whoa, that incredible, right? Yeah, when I um, I was living in New York um, and I was, I'd moved there um, about 2012 um, and... I'd had a really bad year. I hadn't worked for a whole year because mm. um, 
you know, a lot of the casting directors there didn't know, and right. um, I, I thought, oh, this is <clears throat> not working out. Um, yeah, going to have to go back and work in the UK. Um, and did you, if you don't mind me asking, did you go to the states because you wanted different work? And no, did, no, no. Uh, it's it just my husband's thing. Irish, and but he's lived in. Um, America for a long right, time right, right. and I'd met him on a job in Ireland and I thought oh let's try living in New York yeah, for a while yeah, yeah. Um, and he has a bar there so I thought oh, even wow. if I don't work for a while we'll be alright because you've got the bar Yes. Um, but uh, so it wasn't for work it was just for the experience yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and so at the end of a very bad year they said oh can you do this tape for Breaking Bad and at that point it was it was becoming okay. quite well known um, a few people were talking about it uh, it was just about to kick into being yeah. as well known as it was and um, I did a tape and um, then did a second tape the first tape was a, a, a pretend scene it was the character of Lydia and the character Jonathan Banks plays Mike uh, but they were called different names right, um, right. and it was a, a the same dynamics as their their storyline, but the it was all about a burglary and it, right. yeah, it was all. <laughs> um, but then the second tape after the like the first tape, it was a real scene from season five. I did that, and then the, the, a few weeks later, I was in Albuquerque shooting it, and. Um, it was a, a quite a nerve-wracking experience because then I thought, well, I better not... If I watch the show, I'll get really nervous at, um, when I meet everyone, so I won't watch it. So I did, like, five episodes or something, and then I thought, right, I'm going to watch it because I was too curious, and I saw how good it was and everything, and then I just became even more worried. <laughs> I was like, oh, no! Um, so what is next? I mean, could could... I mean... <laughs> Traces is terrific, and I urge listeners to to watch it. I mean, is this something that could run and run? Do you think? Or? Yeah, I think there's they've got some ideas for you know. I mean, with the the sort of this detailed forensic science backdrop, and then you can have any kind of story arcs outside that. Um, yeah, um, it could could go for a while. Um, I think they're talking about maybe doing it again next year. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so what is next for you, Laura? What, what have you got planned? Um, well, I just did three jobs in a row. Um, so wow. I've said to my agent, I don't want no to more. work till next year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's quite nice when you, you've, you've saved up a bit and you can do that. It's mm. quite a luxury. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's already nearly next year, so well, <laughs> I, I have to extend yeah. my... <laughs> yeah. When I said next year, I meant the next <laughs> next year, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, 2021. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, great. Well, Laura, thank you so much for, for, for joining me. Thank and, you for uh, having me. Yeah, uh, congratulations on Traces. Thank you. A big thanks to Laura there for chatting about Traces and her time in the iconic series Breaking Bad. And with that, it's back to you in the studio, Mark. Thanks, Paul. Now, the final part of our Traces special features one of the most successful and award-laden writers in the country. She is the queen of crime, the Debbie Harry of crime in her role as lead singer with the fun-loving crime writers. And today, as the crazy world of Arthur Brown almost said, she is the goddess of hellfire. She's talking to me down the line from Edinburgh. She is the one and only Val McDermott. Val, welcome back to A Stab in the Dark. Thank you. It's nice to be back again. Now, as we've established already, Traces was based on an original idea by you, so it does beg that horribly obvious question. Where did you get the idea from, and why fire investigation in particular? Well, it's been, I've known a lot of forensic scientists over the years, and one of the things that they've all regularly complained to me about is the way that they're portrayed on television and film. Uh, the whole CSI thing, silent witless thing, where they're the 
one forensic scientist does everything and does it in five minutes yeah. uh, and, and creates this completely false impression of what forensic science can achieve, which can sometimes be uh, a bad thing in courtrooms when juries have greater expectations of the evidence than the evidence can provide. So I, I understood their frustrations because I've, I've, I wrote a book about forensics a few years ago and I interviewed a lot of forensic scientists and frankly, the stories that they have to tell have got enough wow factor on their own without dressing them up. So I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to base a crime series around the reality of forensics? And so I, I went and talked to the lovely people at Red, and they thought this was a great idea. And so I went and picked the brains of uh, the scientists that I, I know, and uh, we came up with... Uh, the lovely Neve McDade, who is the professor at uh, Dundee, and she's a forensic chemist, which means she does drugs, fire and explosives, all the fun <laughs> things. But apart from getting it right on television, you know, portraying it accurately, you've always been interested in forensics. I mean, you know, even before you wrote Forensics, The Anatomy of Crime, it always seems to be something that's fascinated you. Yeah, I think it's it's because we're kind of the same age. You know, the first uh, court case involving DNA was 1986, and my first novel came out in 1987. Right. So I was right there on the cusp of realising that things were changing because of what was happening in the science labs and the new understandings that that was bringing to the process of detection. So really it's kind of gone hand in hand. And quite early on, I met the redoubtable Professor Dame Sue Black, the forensic anthropologist. We were on a radio programme together and she foolishly said, if you ever want any forensic advice, here's my phone number. Yeah, foolish move. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so that's, that's led to a lot of very interesting conversations down the years. I think the interesting thing about forensic scientists is that because the nature of their work involves communication in the courtroom, they are always eager to communicate. So they're very generous with their time and their knowledge and they don't just answer the question that you go to them with. They tell you 17 other interesting things along the way, three of which will lead to a subplot or a plot down the line. I think, I think you've talked in the past about forensics being able to eliminate the strangeness of death, you know, to make it something that's easier to confront. And I was really struck by how much Traces does that. Yeah, I think, um, you know, death is something that happens to all of us. It's something that we've become quite anxious about, I think, in our society. There's a lot of taboos around death. And in fact, Sue Black herself uh, published a book year before last called All That Remains, yes. which is a meditation on death, really, from a professional and a personal perspective. And I think that uh, a lot of what the scientists do is exactly that. It's the demystification. It, it brings it back into a kind of sphere that we can comprehend. And it takes the fear out of it. And, and as you say, this is proper forensics. I mean, I was, I was really struck by one scene in particular where uh, the students have got to make cuts in bones and then analyse them. And the mm. professor says, you know, what do what these cuts tell you about the person who made them? And the answer, of course, is nothing. You know, it doesn't tell you that the perpetrator was nervous or excited or what star sign they were, unlike some of those shows you've, you've, you've already hinted yeah. at. You know, this, it doesn't take ridiculous leaps. It's proper forensics on screen. Yeah, I mean, forensic scientists see their job as the science, exactly that, and not about uh, telling you what was going on, what was in the, the, the killer's mind or uh, what it tells you about whether they're left-handed or right-handed. They simply say, this cut indicates the cut and, and they'll talk about the kind of implement that made it but they'll not tell you whether the person who was wielding it was a was a, a butcher or a candlestick maker yeah 
yeah, that's where the police come in, right? And, you know, psychologists <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. as you say, it does lead to that, the CSI effect, doesn't it? Yes, I mean, there, there are instances where, you know, juries have, have come back into from the jury room to say, we're concerned that there was no DNA in the case. <laughs> and the judge has patiently had to explain that the presence of CCTV with the perpetrator's face on it and the very large fingerprint uh, eliminate the need for DNA because there is other identifying evidence. Yeah, and, and people now think after watching that show that you can tell if somebody's been in a room just by taking a sample of the air. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, we've, we've both been encountered people with pretty revolting halitosis, but I think even that might be taken a bit far. Yeah. <laughs> now, you, you've already talked about your book, Forensics, The Anatomy of Crime, and, and how you spoke to an awful lot of, of professionals. Did anything, any of them told you, genuinely surprise you? The thing that surprised me was the, the stuff about insects and, and, and bugs. Um, I spent a lot of time with a guy called Martin Hall, who works at the Natural History Museum and is also a forensic entomologist. And I thought I was going to find that all a bit revolting and disgusting. But actually, the stuff that he told me was so fascinating. He's one of these people who is just in love with their subject and loves to share their knowledge of it. And I came away fighting knowing all sorts of things about maggots that I never thought I would be interested in at all. I mean, for example, you know, maggots have got wee jaggedy teeth. So <laughs> when, when they consume uh, a corpse, they, have, they end up with wee bits of DNA caught in their wee jaggedy teeth. So if you analyse the maggots, you can get the DNA of the person who, whose body may have been dispatched. Now you put a picture in my head I can't unsee. Um, as as technology um, advances year on year, Val, obviously forensics does at the same time. Are there any things that are coming coming up the road? Any developing techniques that that you're particularly interested in at the moment? I think there's a lot going on in digital forensics at the moment. Um, there's some there's new kit coming down the pike that uh, you know one of the, one of the big bugbears of. Uh, investigation of uh, online scams of cybercrime has been the time it takes to analyse the, the kit. You know, you might get a phone, you might get a laptop, but it takes so long to analyse them. There's stuff coming down the pike now that basically you'll be able to plug in your, your smartphone and boom, all the data's there and available. What does that do for the likes of us, though? Well, we just have to get more imaginative or write more historical crime. It's fair to say there's been a boom in history mystery in the last few years, and I think that's due in no small part to the fact that uh, you don't have to know about the science. Yeah. Now, before we finish, firstly, I obviously want to encourage uh, people listening to this to watch Traces, on which I'm already hooked. Um, But we can't let you go without asking for a couple of recommendations uh, for crime books and TV shows. Putting you on the spot, I know, Val, but Christmas is fast approaching. So what book? should people be asking for in their stockings this year and what TV shows should they be binging on come Boxing Day apart from yours obviously well, obviously yes um, well I would recommend to them Doug Johnson's uh, book A Dark Matter it's out in ebook at the moment but I think it's out in hardback in January um, I also one of the books I really enjoyed this year was Yinkan Braithwaite My Sister the Serial Killer mm-hmm. um, which is a fascinating and, and, and incredibly engaging book um, I also came across, when I was in my time in New Zealand, the book that won the, the, the best crime novel in the NIO Awards this year. There's a book by Dame Fiona Kidman called This Mortal Boy, which is a, a novelisation of a case in New Zealand in the 1950s, the second last 
hanging in New Zealand. And it's a fascinating exploration of, of I suppose, the nature of capital punishment, but also uh, how, how societies deal with outsiders. And it paints a, a really engrossing picture of what New Zealand was like in the 1950s as well. Uh, and, it's, and it's really well written. And, you know, you've got to admire somebody who writes their debut crime novel at the age of 79. Wow. Uh, well, I, I shall definitely check that one out. I've read the first two you, you mentioned, and they're both absolutely brilliant. Um, what, about, what about TV, Val? TV, um, well, I've been, because we were in New Zealand, we were a bit uh, uh, slow to catch up on some things, uh, and I'm notoriously bad at remembering what I've been watching. But uh, I, I think that, uh, I, the thing that I think I'm really sorry that I missed given what everybody said about it is guilt. Right. Uh, everybody's been talking about that, and by the time we got back, it was too late to catch the first episode. So I'm not really the person to go to for these at the moment, but come back to me in the new year and I'll give you some recommendations. Oh, well, plenty of fantastic book recommendations. Thank you so much. And thanks very much for, for coming on Stabbing the Dark, and thanks for Traces, Val. Well, enjoy it. And there we have it. We hope you've enjoyed this brand new episode of A Stab in the Dark, and many thanks to our guests, Amelia Bullmore, Laura Fraser, and Val McDermott. You can watch Traces every Monday on Alibi from the 9th of December at 9pm. But if you're impatient like me and you're a Sky or Virgin subscriber, you can watch the whole series box set in one big, lovely, pre-Christmas forensic science-related crime-a-thon. If you want to find out more about the show, you can go to www.alibi.uktv.co.uk slash traces. And it wouldn't be an episode of A Stab in the Dark without me urging you to subscribe download and rate when you listen to us so go on what are you waiting for subscribe download and rate or i'll come round to your house and read dan brown novels through your letterbox it only remains for me to say a huge thanks to our producers paul hirons and joel porter and look out in the new year because we've got some brand new episodes of a stab in the dark coming your way my name's mark billingham have a lovely christmas and thanks for listening mm-hmm.